you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now I trust based on your testimony that is in the matter of salvation, you definitely wanted to get to him. You came to something in your life, some of you many years ago, some of you maybe not so many, but you came to the point where you realized that you were out of options. You had no other option than Jesus. And you got there. And did he meet the need? Do you remember that time? How many of you remember it? How many of you remember the time that you came to Christ for salvation? Okay. You may not remember the date or whatever, but I I suspect that even if it was years ago, you remember some things surrounding that. And uh, maybe some of you more than others, depending on how long it was ago or how old you were. And the need was met. And even if you were young, you were assured as you grew in the Lord that that need was met. Sure it was. Of course it is. That need is, is met. But there are more needs, aren't there? So we're going to really apply this more to sanctification today, though we know we've already been to Jesus and, and had our needs met in the matter of eternal life. But sanctification is just the same. We've got to get back to him. Really, daily, we should be there. We should recognize that I need Jesus and, and the words of that song, when Jesus came, everything will be changed. Okay, then why are we still beset by some things, just troubled? Besetting sins, maybe it's a, just a difficult trial and we can't get past it. Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be tomorrow or next week. It will certainly be this year. There'll be a trial, right? Okay, now, uh, John chapter 8 is a passage that I've had opportunity at different times to maybe discuss with some of you, not with the, the entire student body, but, but God really has showed me a different application to this. We know that his word is broad and and, and it's alive, and we can, we can learn many things from the same exact passage. So I want to read these uh, first 11 verses of John chapter 8 and talk about that, that aspect of being out of options. Out of options. We still have options. We may not get to Christ. What is it like to be out of options? John chapter 8 and verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, 
He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Lord, today would you speak to us through your word. You are the word. So as in the words of that song, we want you to come right now and minister to our needs in this special way. And we'll thank you for it. Holy Spirit, we're thanking you that you are guiding us right now into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we have the story of a lady, and we're going to talk about her mainly in verses 3 and 4. But I want to talk about this aspect of being out of options. You ever been out of options? Down to the last thing you could do, that's it? I mean, you know what it's like to have options, too. I could do this, or maybe we could do that. If that doesn't work out, I'll, I'll run off and do that thing. Many options. Or being out of options. Do you know that in the Bible, there are those, with regard to Christ, we're making our application in his direction, that um, they did everything that they could to get to Christ. Like getting up, getting up in the morning and thinking about, and I'm sure they went to bed this way, I got to get to Jesus tomorrow. And so that when they woke up, it was just, I mean, they were out of options. We're going to get to Jesus today. Sun came up, maybe some of them didn't even sleep. Do you know who I'm talking about? Can you think of somebody in the Bible who had to get to Jesus? If they were blind, as in the song, and they couldn't see their way to him, then what did they do? They cried out. And they cried the louder. Outside of Jericho, there were two. And they cried out the louder. Why? Because they were out of options. He's the only hope that we have. If he passes by and he's gone... What hope do we have? And so they cried the louder. It was all they had. There were some that couldn't walk, and if they couldn't walk to get to them, then what did they do? They were carried. They found a way. Because not getting to Jesus that day was not an option, and they were out of them. Well, then there were those that when they finally did get to Jesus, the crowd was a wall. And they couldn't, get, they couldn't get to him. Somebody went up on the roof and made a hole there, large enough to put a bed through. I've seen those roofs and the way they constructed them in a kind of a reconstruction. And, uh, you know, that didn't happen in a few minutes. Why? We're out of options. There's another one who, when he couldn't get through the crowd, he climbed a tree, right? And you know why. 
Options were scarce for him. There was a lady. She couldn't climb a tree or break through a roof. The crowd was thick. Somehow, somehow, like an NFL football player, she got her way through the crowd to get a hold of his garment. Right? Was she out of options? Had she had some before? Right? You know the story. But now she was out. She was down to one. And she wasn't hopeless in it. She was faith-filled in it. I know this one will work. And that's why it did. There are those in the Bible who had faith to get to Jesus for others. A father for a dying daughter. A centurion for a beloved servant. We're out of options. We have to get to Jesus. And you know, we were that way at one point about our salvation. I don't think you went to him with split dependence at that point. Well, it could be my this or it could be that. I'll, I don't know. No, you, were, you recognized he is the only way. I am without him and I need him. But what about that daily living? Are you completely free in every area? Do you not believe that if you got there, he would deliver? It might be soul winning, like we're talking about. It might be that you just aren't as loving to others. I need freedom in this. Lord, I need to be able to receive your love to give it to others. Might be other things. We'll talk about those. There are others, though, who... uh, We're not so bent on getting to Jesus. Sometimes we may be that way. Not all the time, not you as a person, but on a certain issue, on a day, not really desirous to see him about this matter. For some reason, strange reason it would seem, not fully desirous to be delivered. Although that's odd, we may cry with tears. I want to be delivered, I don't want this anymore. But we know though, That if we got to Jesus, he's not going to say, I'm sorry, I don't have time right now. I'm sorry, it's not a good day. I'm sorry, I don't have power enough to deliver you right now. No, it can't be him. It must be us. We might not yet be out of options. We might still be trying something else. Split dependence in sanctification. Hmm. Works reliance. There are some in the Bible, for example, the woman at the well. Did she wake up that morning thinking, I got to get to him? I think he's coming through. He must needs go through Samaria after all. Uh, But he's going to be at a well today, I think. I've got to get to him. Did she wake up that way? No. She did go to the well and he was there. Did she know he would be there? No. What did she go there for? Water. Did she get water? Yeah. Not the water she was looking for. She she became convinced by the word that she needed that water. Let's put it this way. She was convinced that the options that she had in her life, like men, weren't satisfying. 
And somehow in that discussion with him, she grew in faith to understand, I am out of options. He's my only hope. Don't you know that? Wow. And didn't she become a soul winner then? Yes? Okay. Wow. There it is. You want to become a soul winner? Recognize you're out of options. It's not your flamboyant personality, your oratorical skills, your Bible knowledge. It's him. But initially that day, she really wasn't bent on seeing Jesus. I think of, in the Old Testament, of Naaman. Naaman had a problem. He was running short of options for his problem, wasn't he? And so he went to see the prophet, the power of God, the man of God. He was there based on the, a little girl. Praise the Lord for her testimony. But he's there. And he learns what obedience to God would require of him. The Jordan. Really? Humility. Okay. See if you can, see if you can get it. In that moment, did he feel like he was out of options? I'm getting some no's. Right? So what did he do? Did he go to the Jordan? No, I'm going home. Man. Didn't he name his options? Didn't he name two other rivers? I've got better options than that. I don't need that. I don't need to obey Jehovah. I have other options. It was his servants who were at that point soul winners and convinced him, oh, no, 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 no. They might be cleaner rivers, but, sir, you're out of options. You need to go back. And he did. And he met with Jesus. And he was healed. He was delivered, right? Are you with me? Everybody tracking so far? You doing all right? All right. Out of options. But what about the rich young ruler? He came running to Jesus, fell on his face. Looked like, wow, he must have got up that morning. That's all I need is Jesus. And when Jesus spoke to him truth and, and the, the things, the price that he'd have to pay to follow Jesus, did he have some other options? Did he? Right. And he sought those other options. Sometimes we do that in our lives. There might be somebody here who concerning, I don't know, something in your life. I mean, think of Naaman, for example. When he went away angry, think of the fact that when we have other options, many times as we pursue those, there's emotions that go with those. Anger. Fear. Worry. Do you know that if, we, if we're out of options and we get to Jesus, do we have those same emotions? Do we have emotions? Yeah. What are they? If we get to Jesus, how about the fruit of the Spirit? Are they emotions? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. If you're struggling with emotions, they, they're probably not the issue. Anger, anger, worry, fear. 
you're struggling with those things, it might reveal that you're pursuing the wrong options in your life on some issue. They're symptoms of a problem. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, there's also those that seek to avoid Jesus at all cost. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Really, it's that idea of, I've got some other options. There might be, it might be a message and uh, you, you, I don't know, something in that message spoke to your heart, but you're not ready to, to deal with it. You're not ready to get to Jesus, confess that thing and be done with it. You're not ready. And so in that moment, at that time, no, I'm not going. Now, that's a, that's a hard thing to say, but, you know, honestly, we just need to get honest about something. We just need to get honest about the, It'd be so much more helpful if we would just come out and say it. You know, about this, I like my anger. I'm going to keep it, okay? I like to worry. I like fear. Or I like that particular sin. Or maybe we're not even calling it a sin. I like this story. And honestly, I've looked at this many times. I never really had seen what the, the application that God had shown me this time. Here's a woman at the beginning of this. Let me ask you this question. Now, these, the questions are only going to get easier. You, you don't believe that. Anybody who's been through history is saying, oh, that's not true. <laughs> Does she need to get to Jesus at the outset of this story? Does she need to get to him? Does she know she needs to get to him? I don't know. Is she trying to get to him? She wake up that day thinking, ah, boy, Jesus, this is the deal. i got to get there. Like Zacchaeus? No. Does she need to get to him? Question, question. Today, is she going to get there? Yes or no? I mean, that day. Is she going to get to him? Is that a good thing? Are you sure? You want some time to think about it? <laughs> this is not that hard. She ought to be there, Right? Did she wake up that day trying to get there? No. You know what she had? She had some help getting there. Is that true or not true? She had some help. All right. Netcasters, right? What do you do? You go out and you go door to door. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? Somebody to bring to Jesus. Somebody that you can convince is out of options. Okay. But somebody that you can bring to Jesus, yes or no? Yes. Okay. Here we have a story of some men who woke up that day saying, we've got to bring somebody to Jesus today. Is that true or not true? Were they, were they concerned today to get somebody to Jesus? Some of you still aren't. You're not there yet. Can we... Is her soul going to be one today? Yes or no? Are they going to have a part in it? Without them today, is she going to get to Jesus? This is very important to our application. So don't, 
I can't lose you. You've got to stay with me. So we're going to call these men soul winners. Just for a minute. Did they wake up that day and have a prayer meeting before they went door knocking? I doubt it. I don't know. I doubt it. It doesn't say. I don't think so. Scribes and Pharisees, it calls them. But today they did. They did wake up uh, bent on getting somebody to Jesus. Like if somebody had said to them, you know what, today, you know, let's not do that. Let's not go out soul winning. Uh, let's go to the ball game. We're going to go to the ball game. What do you think they would have said? Oh, no. Today. We're going to take somebody and go to Jesus. True? Is there any place else that they'd rather be than with Jesus that day? Stay with me. Is there any place they'd rather be? Okay. So they go door knocking. And they find somebody. There she is. You. You need to come with us. Where are you taking me now? I don't know what they said or if they said anything. But they're taking her. It literally says twice, taken. Taken in adultery. The word means strong. It means she was seized. Arrested. She had no choice in it. I don't know what they said. If they said, well, you're coming with us. Where am I going? They might not have said any more than that to her. Are they kind? Kind. Are they kind to her? Are they caring? Do, do they, you know, now we come to the truth. Do they care about her soul? No. Is her soul going to be one that day? That's odd. Like, that's weird. Wouldn't they really have to be in prayer and all that? You'll come to it. We're going to make an application. Stay with me. They don't care about her. Do they want her to succeed? Does she succeed? Hmm, interesting. They take her. They seize her. What was the trip like between wherever she was and the Temple Mount? I don't know. We don't have a verse on it. She was seized. She was set in the midst when they got there. Why is she going to the temple? Do we do this? Do we take harlots to the temple? No. My guess is this was a frantic journey. My guess is this was a difficult journey. And for her, she is scared out of her mind. I doubt they offered much explanation to her. And the way that they look and the tone of their voice... And the way that they're handling her says a lot to her. And I'll bet she is frantic to not go wherever they're taking her. Where are they taking her? Tell me again. They're taking her to Jesus. And yet she's frantic not to get there. I don't want to go there. I do not want to go there. You know, sometimes, listen to me, sometimes we're that way when somebody's trying to bring us to Jesus just because they're not the right kind of person. And they're not treating me very well. And they might not even be taking me there for the right motive. But it is Jesus. All right, we'll get there. And so they got there. And I don't know where they were in Jerusalem and how far they were from the temple. Now, if they were on the north side of the temple, then 
There are not many stairs. They could walk right into the Temple Mount, but it's still quite a little trip. If they were on the south side, southeast, then they've got a lot of stairs that they need to drag her up. She was caught in sin. And she's now forced in this journey to Jesus. She's reluctant. She doesn't know what she'll find there. But she gets there. She's set in the midst, and they begin to ask questions. Notice here, in verse 4, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? That's an interesting question and shows their misunderstanding of both the law and Jesus. Right? Because he is the law. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He is. That's the law, as I mentioned at Camp Joy, is an expression of God's holiness. This is who, my, this is who I am. This is, this is what my people should do. And these are the things my people, my people, who want to walk with me should not do. It's an expression of him. They didn't understand that. But anyway, uh, they, they put him up against Moses, tempting him, verse 6, hoping to accuse him so that if he says, well, what are you asking me for? If that's what the law says, go stoner. You're interrupting. You guys are always bothering me. Would you move on? And they holler out to stoner then what are all of these hundreds of people going to think about this rabbi? What are they going to think? Not very gracious. Not very kind. Not very loving. Not very merciful. It's not going to bode well with them. If he says, you know what, this is a loving era, and uh, we just need to be more kind and considerate. You know, that was written back in an old time when Moses was grumpy. Don't worry about Moses. He's a grumpy guy. And uh, we're far more forgiving. So don't worry about it. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. Let's let this one pass. The people going to be impressed with that? Wow. He just spoke against the law. But he didn't. He stooped down and wrote in the ground. And some want to spend all their time trying to figure out what he wrote. Don't worry about it. If it was important, it'd be in there. So he wrote on the ground mainly so that they wouldn't look at him or that, you know, that uh, he wouldn't be confrontational at that point. They then uh, continue asking him until he lifts himself up and says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And I think that's been misunderstood. I know I've misunderstood it years ago, thinking really what he was saying was, get out of here. Who do you guys think you are? Get out of here. Is that what he was saying? Let me ask you this. Does Jesus ever say that to a sinner? Then why would he be saying it now? Because we think he should say it to them? Because they're mean? So what? We've put our emotions into him? The one who said come? Now we're thinking he's saying go? Did he ever tell them to go? Did they go? But he didn't tell them to go. He never said, go. Let him that is without sin first cast the stone. Men, are you out of options? Where are you at? In your spiritual walk, men, you know what he's doing? He's witnessing to them. How are you doing? Are you a sinner? Do you need help? 
I understand that she needs help. He's not denying that. But how about you men? And then he goes back down to right. Their conscience now kicks in. And from the oldest, now they leave. And we thought, good riddance. Glad to see you go. They'll never try that again. Was it good that they left? (laughs) Here's Jesus. You tell me, when is it ever good that a sinner leaves the presence of Jesus? It wasn't good this day either. It wasn't good. They should have stayed. They should have found what she found. Okay, okay. We know that. We know what happened there. But he looks again after he waits considerable time, I'm sure. For the rest of them, I really think that the oldest one that went out first was the hardest. And maybe the younger of them were really thinking this thing through. Huh. And they looked at the older ones that are leaving, and they looked at him, and they looked at the woman, and and they're thinking, am I out of options? Should I not listen to this rabbi? But all of them chose like the rich young ruler to leave. But now the key, and this is really the point. She's here. Why? Well, because they drug her here. Right. But they set her in the midst, and and I think they were holding her. Because I think if they weren't holding her, what would she do? Wouldn't you? Doing what she did, which she never denies, and now being set in front of hundreds of people, She is totally humiliated. Yes? Completely embarrassed. She would crawl under anything right now. She'd love to get out of here. Until now. He looks up. Almost, why are you still here? They wanted to get here. She would have rather been anywhere but here. Now they leave, and she is free. He wasn't watching. He wasn't staring her down. He was riding on the ground. And she stays. And he looks up, and I think this is very fascinating. And he says... Woman, where are thine accusers? Where are they? Where are they? Does she say they're right over there? Do you see the, you you can almost still see them. If you look down, you can still see them. Uh, I got some descriptions. I could, I think somebody needs to do something about those guys. And uh, so look, there they are. Is that what she says? Does she point? Do you know that you and I do? There they are. The people that harass me, the people that have messed up my life, the people that have brought trials into my life. Mr. Bosler was humorous yesterday with roommates, but it could be family. There, my parents at times. Um, I don't know, a school teacher, a principal, a a neighbor, somebody 
a classmate. We've got somebody. Where are those, thine accusers? And she says, no man. I just think it's interesting that she's not focused, when he asks where, she's not focused on them. Even though they have treated her terribly today. She's not fixated on them. What is she fixated on? Jesus. She's still here. Does she have to be here? Do these people all still know what she did? Right? Today, she's being delivered here with Jesus. She stays when she could leave. There are no other options. Running away is not an option. I need Jesus. Now, if these men had not come to her door that morning, what kind of condition would she be in? Would she have found Jesus? Would she have been delivered? Do you think it would be a surprise to them if she went now in the days to come and found them? And they open the door, and there she is. The scribes and the Pharisees are at the door. She's at their door. And uh, they said, what, what are you doing here? She said, I, I just wanted to thank you. You rescued me. Is there truth in that? Is there truth in that? For all of their, their anger, their wrong motives, did God use it in her life? Why can't we not see that in ours? For all the talk about wounds and all those bad things that happened to us, and everybody is wounded. If I said, hey, can you think of a time when somebody did you wrong, and this and that, I think we'd all go, oh, yes. I said, take out a half sheet of paper and start writing the names. Well, you'd start writing the names. That one there and this one, they did me wrong. And you wouldn't see how God was using that in your life. Like she might. She could look them in the eye and say, without you, I never would have found him. Without you, my life would still be a waste without you. But we had wrong motives and we didn't care about you and we were really trying to use you. I understand that. That honestly is none of my concern right now. I just want to thank you. You wonder, how do I forgive people? How? how? I can't forgive that person. People say, give it to God. I've tried. I've given it to them somehow, and it comes right back again. And every time I think about them, I'm angry. You might want to think about a young lady who might go knock on a door and say, I'd just like to give you guys a bunch of hugs. You saved me. Without you in my life, my life couldn't be what it is. You say, that's not. There's no way. 
Listen to what? You just don't think God uses everything. You think God works in spite of these things. You think God was asleep when these people did this to you. God said, this isn't part of his plan for my life. Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock and established my goings. Who did that? God did that. Just the good goings? Or all your goings? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Job said, in Job 23, verse 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. Was that a good way? Was Job going through some good things? But he knoweth the way that I take, and, notice the words, and when he hath tried me, God, you're doing this. We look at those people and the angry faces and the wrong motives and, and the mistakes and the accidents and the things they did, and we look at these and we're, well, the wounds and suffering, and I think she's looking and saying, what a glorious day. What a glorious day. Today I was delivered. Oh, I'm so thankful for those men. Oh, she's still bruised. She's not worried about it. She can still see the bruises. You know what? She can look at a bruise now, and what can she say? Look at the bruise. It hasn't healed yet. What can she say about the bruise? Can she be thankful for the bruise? We aren't. We're not. The wounds, the pain, they haven't healed. I'm still suffering. Bitterness sets in. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how, where there's a good outcome. Then you're not walking by faith. You're not walking by faith. You don't believe God is working all things together for good. He can't do that. Not this time. I have other options. I'm going to be angry. I'm not going to thank people. You are absolutely delivered when you walk by faith. God, are you in this? God, did, did ask him. Ask him. You pick out anything in your life that's terrible and ask God. Go right to the throne and ask this question. Did this need to happen? Did it need to happen? And what's he going to say? No. What's he going to say? No, I'm sorry, that happened when I wasn't looking. No, I, I'm sorry, that got away from me. Is that what he's going to say? Well, God, you must put me through more than I needed to. Really? He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. If you're walking by faith, you can be thankful. You can be delivered. You can look at the bruises that haven't even healed yet and say, what a reminder that God can deliver me. What a great day that was when I got these bruises. I'm so thankful for that day. You will be delivered. The 1936 Olympics were in Berlin. The runner was an American. Louis Zamperini, he ran. He didn't win, 
but he ran strong. He was 19. His final lap was so strong in the 5,000 meters, a three-mile run, that he broke the world record for that lap, at least, the final lap, passing many of those that were in front of him. So fast was he that Hitler took notice of it and said, I want to meet that man. He didn't win. He didn't even medal. But he did break the record for one lap there on his final lap, 56 seconds. So he shook hands with Hitler, 1936. Louis Zamperini, when World War II broke out, became a crewman on an airplane in the South Pacific. As many of you know the story, that B-24 would go into the South Pacific, it would be downed, and he would be in a raft for nearly two months. Then he would be captured, and he would spend the next two and a half years in a Japanese imprisoned camp, actually two of them. And because he was an Olympian, his name had been in the papers, in American papers, as kind of a hero that's out there now bombing the Japanese, and we're so thankful for this hometown boy, and he's in the newspapers, and you know the Japanese read the newspapers. And now they have him. And they, one guy in particular, Wontanabe, Sergeant Wontanabe, made it his life goal to torture Louis Zamperini, an unsaved young Olympian. It was nearly every day that Sergeant Wontanabe would come around and beat him. He would find him. He would pick him out of the hundreds of POWs and beat him with whatever he could get his hands on. The camp didn't even understand it. Why is he? I mean, he would beat a few others, but he's always focused on Louis Zamperini. They would try to hide him. It didn't help. It made it worse. They say that he, he, would, he was so mad and crazy when he was beating him that he was foaming at the mouth, screaming, and he was always focused on Louis Zamperini. He would bring Japanese runners to the camp and force them to, to run a race around the inside perimeter of the camp, he, looking for the Japanese that could beat this American and prove that the Japanese were better. Louis Zamperini knew that if he won the race, his, his fellow soldiers would cheer him. Of course they were cheering him on, but he would be beaten severely. And he won. And he won. And he was beaten. He was transferred to another camp, only to find out that Wantanabe was, was got himself transferred there, and the beatings went on. Unspeakable. When the war was over, Wantanabe went into hiding, and they couldn't find him. Louis Zamperini came home to California, got married. But every night, when he put his head on his pillow and went to sleep, there was Sergeant Wantanabe beating him. He could see his face in his dream. And every night he would wake up just soaked with sweat of trying to get away from that beating and, and actually trying to get his hands around the neck of his tormentor and kill him. He became possessed with it. He began again to drink heavier and heavier. His wife tried to help him and, he, and she couldn't. Finally, she went to a, a crusade and she got saved. But he spiraled. He got worse. His wife got pregnant, and one night, in one of these fits of rage, in the middle of a nightmare, he, he finally had him. He had Sergeant. And he was 
killing him. And in his dream, he has got him down. Now he's on top and he's got him and he's choking him. And in his dream, Wontanabe is choking and he can't breathe. And he wakes up to realize he's on top of his wife and he's choking his wife. He nearly killed her and their unborn child because he wasn't delivered from the demon. His wife finally convinced him to go to the Billy Graham crusade and there he yielded and he was born again. That night he went home, poured all of his alcohol out into the sink, got rid of all his cigarettes in the trash and never had another dream about Sergeant Wontanabe. Not one more. He was delivered. Jesus can do that. 1998, years later, 1998, the Olympics were in Japan. So he went to Japan. Wontanabe had survived, even though he was marked by General MacArthur as the 23rd most wanted man in Japan for what he had done. 23rd. They couldn't find him. In 1956, sort of the statutes of limitations ran out and the charges were dropped. Wontanabe came out of hiding, became an insurance salesman, became wealthy. Louis Zamperini, now an evangelist, went to Japan. He was honored at the Olympics. And he asked Wontanabe if he could meet him. And Wontanabe refused. So he at least wrote him a letter telling him how he was forgiven. I dare say that if he had not been beaten so much and had not had those nightmares, he wouldn't have gotten so desperate to find Jesus. And now he looked at Sergeant Wontanabe differently. You're the very reason why I ran out of options and had to get to Jesus. I wonder about you. Is there something in your life and you still have other options? You still, if it's evidenced by the fact that you're, you haven't been able to forgive somebody, you don't trust God that that was the right thing for my life and God is wanting to show me why, but I can't see it because I'm bitter. If you get to Jesus, you can forgive anybody. You will realize in that moment that I also am a sinner and I have offended other people. Who do I think I am holding something against somebody else? Do you have other options? Or are you out of options?